Jesus, indeed, we are in awe of your incredible, great love for us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. You did spill your blood to pay the price that we deserved. We praise you and we worship you. Father, now I ask that you would give us insights into our lives, Lord, insights into your truth. Um, guide what I say, Lord, Lord, guide what we hear. And Father, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to, to lead us uh, and to, to help us to be more like you in every way. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn your Bible to James chapter 2, we're kicking off, continuing in our James series at verse 1. And if you're familiar with this passage, if you've read ahead, you know that his whole theme and topic here is about partiality, showing partiality to other people, or you could say favoritism. And I just want to start off by saying, I mean, obviously this text is incredibly relevant to our country and all that we're going through right now in the, in the protests and some of the protests that have led into riots, all the things that have come out of uh, the, the killing of George Floyd uh, last week. It's just really sad to see what's going on in our country. It's still a massive issue in our nation. And, and I believe that racism is a, is a subcategory of partiality. It is, it is um, based on someone's skin, you are partial, you know, against them, you're judging them. Um, and, and so, and again, you know, I didn't pick this passage because of the week that we're in and all that we're experiencing. We, we, we picked this, this passage uh, weeks, even a couple of months ago that we would do on this Sunday. And, and I'm just amazed at how God just, I mean, he has sovereignly picked this, this, this for, for us right now. And, and Again, I want you to just really seriously think about, okay, if God picked this passage for us this week, and he's sovereign all over all those kinds of details, then what does he have to say to me? What does he really have to say to me? So don't hear what we're going to be talking about and, and project that onto other people and just wish, oh, if only that person or that politician or this leader or that my friend or whoever it might be, if only they could do these things. Let's, let's really seriously look at how God is leading us in this. And, and you know, I can't even, you know, it, it just, it's just remarkable again how relevant God's uh, word is and scripture is because if you guys remember, right at the very beginning of James, we were talking about, uh, you know, counting it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, right when COVID-19 and all the lockdown hit. So, so James has been incredibly relevant to us in, in the day and age that we're living in right now. So James chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So this is like the summary verse for the entire section. He's just flat out saying, show no partiality. That, that, is, the, that is the clear command. And I'm going to define partiality as this in a couple of ways. It's making a value judgment about another person based on a non-biblical reason. Or it's how I feel about other people based on a criteria that is offensive to God. In other words, I've put a, a, a value judgment on that person that is offensive to God. God does not value people that way. And, and this is a projection of our values onto other people. And if you remember back in verse 9, 
He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Remember, we talked about how that's, that's putting a, a false value judgment on yourself. Remember that? So we were, we were talking about how, okay, so if you're poor, that doesn't determine your value in God's eyes. You have been exalted because you are a child of God, right? And if you're rich, boast in the fact that because of what Jesus has done in your life, you no longer set your personal value based on your wealth. Your personal value is based on what God says about who you are. In verse, chapter 12, it's now not about judging ourselves, but putting judgments and values onto other people uh, in, in whatever criteria we might have, okay? So showing partiality. I value this person more than this person or this kind of person over that person. And it can be lots of different areas, including racism. Racism is putting a value that's less on specific cultures or races or the color of the skin or whatever it might be. Now, please note too that he says, not only to show no partiality, but look how he says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I mean, that's like Jesus' full longest possible title. He doesn't just say, as you hold the faith in Jesus, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I mean, he's expanding on who Jesus is and all that defines him. And I think the reason for that is because the people that James is writing to, they don't have a knowledge or information problem. They know who Jesus is. They completely believe who Jesus is. Their problem is they're not actually obeying it. And, and that goes back to this whole theme of this next section that we're in in James that we've been talking about, to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, right? So we want to not just agree, oh yeah, yeah, partiality, racism, those kinds of things, that's bad. We actually want to be doers of it. It's not enough to agree that it's true. We've got to actually act on it. Then verses two and three, he gives us, he gives us an example, okay? So for example... If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Okay, so now when we're all reading that in our culture today, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's kind of gross. I, I can't imagine doing something like that. That's, that's awful, right? Um, but, you know, because, but, but again, it's like a situation where you have somebody that just comes in, and it's like just by the way this guy looks, his haircut, the clothing, um, the car that he drives. I mean, he pulls up to the, to the church and you're like, wow. And you might, you might nudge somebody next to you and say like, yeah, who is that? Who's that guy? In other words, that's somebody I want to know. I want to I get to know that person. And here you have a situation where the pastor's like, hey man, you sit down right here in the front. And then you have somebody who walks in and you can just tell by the way they look, by the way they smell, the car they drive, all those kinds of things. And it's like, oh, it's like the opposite of that rich person. And you're thinking, man, It'd be great if you could just maybe you could move your chair back a little farther, a little, you know, it's like get back farther away from, from us and, 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 you know, maybe wear some deodorant next time. You know, it's like it's complete impartiality because of wealth. You are saying that person is the person that I value. He's the one that I'm going to put over the other person. And then verse four, he just flat out says that partiality 
is sin. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is sin. Sin is evil. And he says thoughts. So I think that partiality, racism, favoritism, those are, those are sins of the heart, sins of our thoughts. Now, of course, it can come out like in this example in actions, but it starts in what we think about people. It starts there. What's my opinion on these other people? Okay, and then he gives us some reasons why it's bad. And in verses five through seven, I'm going to just go ahead and label that as partiality is idiotic. So not only in verse four is it sin and evil, but partiality is idiotic. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. And that, that verse five, is, it's, that's like the reasons that it's idiotic for heavenly reasons. For heavenly reasons, partiality, particularly towards poor people in this case, is idiotic. Because he's saying, God says, I have chosen particularly people that the world values low, poor people, whoever it might be, whatever the value system is, God's saying, I've chosen them that they would be rich in faith. So it, it's, it's, it's like, why would I not want to be, why would I like put down the person that from an eternal and heavenly standpoint is going to be one of the most important people in the future? God says, that's the kind of person that I value. Therefore you should. So you are crazy if you're not valuing them or you're devaluing them by being partial to people that you prefer. And then in verses 6 through 7, he kind of gives us some worldly reasons for why partiality is sick. Worldly reasons for why partiality is sick, uh, is, uh, why partiality is idiotic, excuse me. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are you not, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme and the honorable name of which you were called? And he's just like, practically speaking, who has the best lawyers? Practically speaking, who's more likely to send you the cease and desist letter to, to threaten a lawsuit, to uh, be willing to not just take you to court, but keep pressing until they get exactly what they want? It is rich people. He's just saying, guys, why would you ingratiate yourselves to the people that oftentimes can be the ones that are, that are the hardest on, on people? So just for worldly reasons, it's idiotic. Being partial is idiotic for heavenly reasons because God has said, that is the person who has the, that I'm, I'm ordained to have the most faith. In fact, you know, just thinking about this from that perspective, if you've got a prayer request, seek out a person that is poor and ask them to pray for you because that person, he's saying, has the most faith. And then, of course, it's idiotic for worldly reasons. And then verses 8 through 13, we get the solution. What is the solution to partiality? He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, 
you are doing well. And that's again a summary uh, verse for this whole next paragraph. And he calls, you know, we, we all recognize you shall love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. And he, but he calls it the royal law. Why does he call it the royal law? I think he calls it that because this law, love your neighbor as yourself, is just like Jesus, who is the king of kings. This is the law of laws. In other words, you could take all of the law and moral code of God, and it can be summarized down in terms of relationship with people. It can be summarized down to loving your neighbor as yourself. The solution is real, true, authentic love. We know that Jesus is someone who lowered himself down to reach down to us in the poverty of our slavery to sin and the poverty of our darkness and our brokenness. He was perfect and in light and had no troubles and he took on our troubles on our behalf. That is real and true love. And then verse nine, but if you show partiality, so this is the contrast to love is partiality, you are committing sin. It's, it's, again, just, it couldn't be any more clear that, that treating people differently based on a standard or value that God does not recognize or that God considers evil is wrong. It is sin. Uh, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, you are guilty. And then uh, verses 10 and 11, he illustrates that a little further by talking about a murder and adultery. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Now, that's being accountable means I'm a transgressor. I am guilty. Uh, for Verse 11, for if for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. There's that same word. Now, we think of adultery and murder, those are really significant sins, right? And, and if you go back and look at the Old Testament law, they were also both capital offenses. In other words, if you were found guilty of adultery or guilty of murder, it was serious enough that your life was taken. That was the punishment in, in the ancient Israel. And, and if you can imagine, like, what if you were found guilty of murder? You know, it's like, okay, yes, I admit it. I did shoot that guy. And then you're going before the judge for sentencing. He's about to give you your sentence. You've already been declared guilty. And you say, judge, okay, before you give your judgment to me and you sentence me to my time in jail, I want you to know that I have never once committed adultery in my life. That, that's what he's saying. Okay, good job. You've never committed adultery, but you are a murderer. You are a transgressor. And that's what he's saying. And, and, and I think that's, that's pretty significant, too, that he uses these two really evil sins of adultery and murder to compare them to partiality. I mean, I, I, I think he's trying to really grab us by the collar and get our attention. In other words, this is serious to God. You are a transgressor. It is sin. It is evil. It is wrong. And it's wrong at the same scale, he's saying, of murder 
and adultery. Now, of course, the consequences can be significantly different from a worldly standpoint, but he says you're a transgressor. You are guilty of the entire law. I think that's really, really important. And then verses 12 and 13, I think, are some really tough passages here that I think it, it's, I mean, I think James is really pressing this idea that, guys, this is serious. This is really, really serious. He said, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, the freedom of the gospel but the gospel tells us, okay, these things are wrong, and because of those things, I need a Savior. So I'm going to turn from those things, ask God for forgiveness, and go in the direction that He wants me to go, right? That's, that's, that's the law of liberty that we're under. And then verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, like I said at the beginning, I really want you to think, okay, this isn't necessarily someone else's problem or those people's problem. How is God speaking to me right now? Imagine that we stand before judgment and there's a videotape of your entire life and we're going we're gonna to pop the tape in and Jesus is going to watch the tape of your life with you sitting there. And then we're going to make note of all the times in subtle thoughts or subtle actions that I've been partial. I've, I've shown impartiality to someone. And, and I can imagine, I mean, it's like, and he's just going to fast forward. He's like, look, I, I, I got I'm going to skip to the next one. Skip to the next one. Here it is. Thing after thing after thing all the ways that I've been impartial and judge people based on my values versus the way that God values people. And I think at the end of that, I would just be like, oh, I would just feel the weight of, oh God, please, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. And what he's saying here is that judgment is without mercy, the one who has shown no mercy. So I think when we ask Jesus, show me some mercy, he's going to say, okay, let's watch the tape again and find the times where you've shown mercy. And then it would just be like, oh. I mean, it just, it's just like, not only have I been impartial, but it's, okay, what are the times where I've extended that mercy? Because I think the point that James is making here is that it's not enough to be impartial. We must also show mercy. In other words, I can't just say, look, I never did any of those things that those people did. I treated all people equal. Because Jesus will then say, well, then what about how you showed mercy to people in need? You know, think about, you know, last week we were looking at Matthew 25 where Jesus says, you know, when you fed me when I was hungry, or you fed the person when they were hungry, you fed me. When you clothed the person when they needed clothes, you clothed me right? It's all about mercy. And then think about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan comes across the guy who was mugged and left for dead on the side of the road, and he extends mercy. He did nothing wrong in terms of putting the guy there, right? And then, and then Jesus says that the priest and the Levite who walked past him, the priest and the Levite can say, look, I was never impartial to anyone and then Jesus will say, but did you show mercy when I gave you the opportunity, 
when that person came into your life. And, and, and again, I, I think James is meaning for us to really feel the pressure of this, not only letting me dig into my heart, God help me to see where I might be showing just subtle through thought and actions it's coming out, subtle kinds of value judgments that I, that I put on people, that I look down on that. Maybe there's a particular person in your life. You don't like the way they do certain things and it bothers you deeply. You, you, you show contempt and, and talk down to them, whatever it might be, or larger issues. Let God convict you and feel that is evil and turn from that. But don't just stop being impartial. I want to ask you, what does the mercy ministry look like in your life? And again, I don't think we're meant to just cut checks to deserving ministries that do mercy work. I think we're meant to get our hands dirty in it ourselves. God has brought people into our lives like the Good Samaritan, where you just, you're headed somewhere and they come into your life. Is your heart willing for that? Is your eyes open for that? I feel like those are important questions we should ask ourselves. Now, this is the pressure that God's putting down on issues that we might be asking, okay, I know all that. I don't think I've said anything today that might be new to you. You know all, it, all of it, but are you doing it? Are you doing it? Let God answer that question in your heart. And if there's areas where, okay, I need to repent. I need to change direction. Please know that there is hope. Just turn to the next page in James Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace. The grace of God for a sinner. The grace of God for the person that's so judgmental of people that are different, that has valued certain people over other people. Or, or the grace of God for the Christian that, you know, generally pretty good at that, but has no way that they're giving of themselves of mercy to people in need. God's grace is significant. Now, don't take that grace and, and allow that to take, take you off the hook. I believe that real repentance means not only do I ask God for forgiveness, I acknowledge it, but I also turn. I change direction. He gives more grace. Therefore, God says, He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. This is the heart of God. His mercy triumphs over judgment.